Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Professor Nina Veflin about risk perception, social norms, and food in the context of customer experiences. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Customer Experience Management Podcast. Uh, I am Carlos, and today I have a very special guest. Uh, she is a colleague of mine at BI Norwegian Business School. I have known her for a few years now, uh, and I have had the pleasure to collaborate with her and to know her work a little bit deeper, uh, which I find very interesting, and I'm sure that uh, you will also find it interesting. Uh, Nina Veflin. She is the, the guest of today. She has a PhD from BI Norwegian Business School, and she's been working in a variety of topics, uh, including uh, food, uh, multisensory food perception, risk, risk and food. Uh, and something that I find particularly interesting about her work is that she has a very strong collaboration with industry as well. She has been part of, uh, uh, you know, like organizations like Nofima, and she has been doing consulting for multiple companies uh, in Norway as well. So her experience ranges from, you know, the basic academic research that helps us conceptualize the world all the way to how we can actually use this in practice. So please uh, join me in welcoming Nina. Nina, welcome to the podcast. It's very nice uh, to have you here. And I would love if you can expand on your introduction. Thank you, Carlos. That was a very nice uh, introduction. Uh, so I would say that the beginning was incremental innovation. It was very, when I started studying marketing, I found the product development the most fascinating part of it. And then that led me into incremental innovation. I thought it's a lot of disruptive and radical, and they are clearly very important. But most of the innovations we have, they are these incremental small stepwise changes. So that catched my attention, and that ended up in a PhD. Uh, and some of the studies there were about food, which led me, as you said, into Nofima, this uh, Norwegian Food Research Institute. So I was there for quite some years um, as a researcher, senior researcher, and heading an innovation center of food there. And I would say we should put a label on my research. That's hard. You, you mentioned it. I'm all over the place. But um, uh, innovation and consumer behavior, and on more and more uh, sensory marketing, as you know, because we had like a, a sensory uh, panel there. We had a lot of sensory scientists that I collaborated with, so that was kind of the beginning. And then being a marketing person coming into that field, it, it, it was naturally to try to merge these things. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. And I have had the, the, the pleasure, I would say, to, to start working in some sensory projects with you, uh, which we will not necessarily cover in detail today. But that's something that if our listeners are interested in, you know, there is some research by Nina on multisensory marketing that you can access in her website. I'll give you the contact details and, and, and elements later on. Um, so what are some exciting projects that you're working on right now, Nina, that maybe you can share with us? Um, I know there is one, uh, for example, on packaging with Tine. Uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, something we've been doing, Carlos. It's like mm -hmm. you're talking about uh, how we can design the, the cheese packages to communicate the flavor, right? Mm -hmm. That was interesting. And then we've been doing something on beer too, and then how the mm -hmm. colors of beer influence and seasonality. So I said that there is some line of research there on the multisensory marketing. But for the last years, I might have worked as much with this risk and food as you you mentioned. We had this big EU project 
called the safe consume. Uh, the, the project goes actually some some. Good, yeah, but I don't know where to start. It, it's a, they think one thing leads to the other, and I think mm. what what uh, what this was was that we had like a PhD student at Nofima, uh, a veterinary medicine student that was very good, and we wanted to keep her. And then we like, said, what can we do? What can we can we write up an application to try to get her to to stay in academia? Uh, and that was kind of the my why I started to be interested in in risk and, and food. Because we got this grant, and that was about what was what scary, and we wanted to look into why, uh, like the microbiologists, they are very much into making what the food we eat safe. That makes sense, right? Mm. But sometimes by telling people about all the scary part, they scare people too, and that's not so good either. So it's a trade-off there that led into this project, uh, and which again led to a larger. EU project about these risk perceptions that uh, I've been doing some research about. That makes sense, and and, and you 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 are answering with that one of the questions that I had for you, which is what made you interested in risk research ah, uh, in yeah. the context of food, which is which is uh, great, and, and you are basically introducing the topic of today. So today we're going to be talking a bit about risk perception and risk taking, mostly in the context of food, and also uh, about sort of like the influence of social norms uh, in the context of of risk perception. Uh, so let's start from the very, very beginning for the, the, the people that, are, that don't know much about this research. What is risk perception and what does it mean for customer experiences, broadly speaking? Yeah. So risk perception, that is how you perceive the risk, right? It's, uh, it's not the objective risk, which uh, some scientists also can help us with to, to define, but the perceive, that's how you experience it cognitively, what you think, what you feel. And usually we, we talk about the... It usually talk about two dimensions of it. It's the severity, the hazard. What are the consequences if this happen? That's one of them. And the other one is how likely is this to happen? So we talk about both the, the consequences and the likelihood of the consequences, you might say. Uh, so, that, so that is what the risk perception often is. And of course, there are some small, uh, there's all the definitions out there, but that's usually the, the two main uh, characteristics of it. Okay, that makes sense. And I guess that's very important for customer experiences in the sense that consumers in one way or another must be always assessing sort of like the potential risk that the interactions that they have with products and services yeah. might be, I guess. Yeah, I think we do that with all kinds, but if that is the only important thing, that is of course the case. Like sometimes, sometimes we have a tendency to look very much into one aspect at a time. Uh, and I think what we was interested in here was maybe to say, okay, uh, Clearly, a lot of time, if we find something risky that will influence what we will do, which is the risk taking, which I've also been investigating, right? That is kind of your behavior, what you do. Uh, and if the, the risk is perceived high, then you should think that people will do less of it. And yes, if, in some situations we will, but not always. And that was kind of what led us into investigating this study, that it's different situations will uh, uh, have different social norms. And mm. the different strengths of the social norms, and that will influence how the role of the risk perception on risk taking, you might say. That is quite interesting. You know, it reminds me a little bit of this research. I mean, of course, not specifically related to it, but kind of like resembling what you're saying, this research on, on disgust, which is kind of like a very basic emotion. 
but disgust also has like a social element to it. You know, mm. you can be disgusted to social situations and that's pretty much mediated by social norms. So mm. that, that is quite interesting. But let's get into, into the article. You published a, an article recently with some of your colleagues uh, that is called Situated Food Safety Risk and the Influence of Social Norms, which I find actually the title very, very intriguing and interesting uh, myself. <laughs> so what is what is this about? I guess you have been giving us some, some insights on it, but more specifically, what did you do in this article? So uh, what we wanted to do was to dive a little bit more deeper into the question of the risk perception and risk taking, right? As I said, it's is it always so that uh, the risk taking will influence what, uh, sorry, that the, the risk perception will influence the risk taking? Uh, and uh, then we thought, that's probably not so. We know that people are different from situation to situation. Uh, we know that we know for a long time that the, the, where we are, the time, place, and the people around us influences how we behave. Uh, and um, then we thought, okay, let's try to dive into this uh, and see, uh, like, how, how the risk perception and the the strengths of the social norm will play together and how they will influence what people will do. And this was a, a food safety project. So it was naturally that we started with the, that the risk taking here was to eat risky food. If you mm -hmm. or it was stated likelihood of eating risky food. Um, what would be some risky food as an example? Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you've been investigating something for so long, so you forget to, to explain <laughs> the details. For instance, to eat a, a raw hamburger, mm. it, it, in most of the cases, it's not dangerous, talking about the severity and likelihood again. But if there are some E. coli bacteria in that hamburger and they have not been inactivated because you've been heating it up to more than 71 degrees, you might die. And oh, wow. people have died. So that is a risky. The microbiologist will see how can people dare to eat such a burger, right? You can die from it. But I do. I have the knowledge. I still eat it because I like it. It's, it's softer. So it's uh -huh. a kind of, there's more things that come into the game than um, than risk perception, right? So Got that it. is, and of course, there's other ones too. That, um... Okay. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, so... You were talking about the idea that in, in this article you're assessing, you know, like situated food safety risk, mm -hmm. right? So situated, I mean, I guess in the context, in specific contexts, right? Mm -hmm. And also uh, under the influence of social norms. Can you elaborate mm -hmm. a little bit on those? Yeah. So what we did was that we had uh, actually started out as a creative session trying to structure different kind of situations that might have different pressure to apply like different social norms uh, and then that was that fitted into an eating exp experience right so it was um, it was all about someone getting food served and the question if they would like to eat it uh, so that we had we developed 17 different situations uh, and uh, that th they varied in a different pressure to apply that the one with the less pressure to apply was if you were home alone situation so your partner has made your food and serve it to you and leave so you're at home alone then that's a situation with very low pressure to eat and very few people will then do it uh, and in the other end the one the situation had the highest that was um, a scenario where you think that you 
you've been in, invited home to your future parents-in-law. You haven't met them before. Uh, and uh, the, the father-in-law is a chef and he has made a childly uh, something he's very proud of uh, and serve it to you. And uh, unfortunately, it's something that you really dislike. And then would you eat it? And in that situation, a lot, much more people would eat. And then there was a lot of different situations. It was more like uh, uh, being abroad, being with friends, being with your boss to discuss a promotion, uh, lots of different situations that varied on different uh, dimensions. That is interesting uh, and, and very, very relatable uh, situations, right? In, in which we're yeah. all the time trying to kind of like calculate, you know, <laughs> what is the action that we want to want to do. So uh, mm -hmm. so that is situational variable. And what about the, the, the social norms? So how do the social norms fit in this context? So uh, the social, yeah, social norms just to define that first then. That is uh, how, the, 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 how you experience that you should behave in a given situation. Right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, what do you think is appropriate behavior in a specific situation? And it's usually defined as uh, what do you think your peers or people that's important for you, what do you think they would do in such a situation? Uh, or uh, how do you think that they think you should behave in a specific situation? So that's how we measure these social norms. But it's actually all about uh, the, the, what what is a, a, a like a good way of behaving or acceptable way of behaving as a given situation and that we have norms right yeah. uh, for how we should behave in different situations for almost all not only for eating but for many aspects of life and, and which are both implicit and explicit right like there are certain restaurants in which i don't know you have like a dress code you know so you're expected mm. to sort of like dress in a specific way but at the same time you know then you give like you have like this for example cutlery range or plateware range mm -hmm. And then nobody's telling you how to use it, but there's the implicit expectation that maybe you pick certain things in certain yeah. orders as the, 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 the it moves yeah. along, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then to, to be um, polite, for instance, is probably expected of us in most situations to be clean, yeah. not to spit uh, like uh, on the street. And it, it varies from culture to culture, of course. What is the norms? Uh, and you've been a lot in in Japan, Carlos. I've only been there once, but I was amazed by the lack of uh, trash on the the pavement. And that is probably social norms because they don't even have trash bins, but there's nothing. And that then is... you can see the effect of like of what social norms can do. You're expected to <laughs> not throw things, and then uh, I don't know what the consequences are if you do it. I don't know the Japan Japanese culture enough, but there must clearly be some social norms there. Yeah, it is. I guess it's social punishment. You know, it was quite mm -hmm. interesting that I met a Chinese person that was living in, in Japan. And she was telling me, in China, we have a lot of visible rules. You know, you mm -hmm. are asked to do certain things. In Japan, on the contrary, you have a lot of invisible rules. Mm -hmm. So you enter to the metro and you start speaking. And then suddenly you see that some people are looking at you like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Because it's expected that you don't speak so much in the metro. You exactly. Know? So, exactly. and it's the same, you know, yeah. like you, there, there are no trash cans in the streets in Japan. And then people expect that you actually carry your trash, sort it mm. and contribute mm. to kind of like the whole uh, country's uh, trash system. Mm. So in a way, you know, what I'm getting from this chat that we're having here is that uh, this whole concept of, of course, uh, you know, uh, social norms and situations is quite relevant, not only for food, but more broadly speaking for experiences in general. You know, yeah, like yeah. So, social norms are quite a, a big 
big and important element on how an experience unfolds given that our actions will somehow be determined or at least influenced by the way in which people expect us to behave. I think so. So this was just a study about food, but it, I think it's with many aspects. And there, there are papers looking at the towels at hotels, for instance. Mm -hmm. So if you put up a little note saying that uh, most people in this hotel, they will use the, the towel two days before they throw it on the floor, that increases the likelihood of that, that the guest will not throw it on the floor. So mm -hmm. the, the, it has some practical implications for many other things than, uh, than food. I I find this super interesting and, and one of the things that I find quite intriguing is that although we are aware sometimes of these norms, we are sometimes not. We just follow them, right? And yeah. and, and that's something that is it's quite intriguing because then you know you start wondering to what extent we're actually in aware or in control of the way in which our behavior unfolds, or we're just following sort of like the expectation, right? Mm -hmm. Which which somehow it's quite important because you know it guarantees kind of like the success of a specific I don't know, social direction or whatever, right? Yeah. And maybe we see it better when we travel because then we don't know all the norms so well. So we get the surprise sometimes, but in our own yeah. culture, it's harder. And it's, yeah. it's, it's something it's learned from childhood, right? To how we should behave and uh, and how we do behave. Yeah, 100%. You just made me made me think that I was in, in India in December and then there was this person walking toward the Ga uh, Ganga River, like the, the sacred river of, mm. of, of India. And this person wanted to get inside the river, but uh, she didn't remove her sandals. And then when she mm. was going to put her first feet inside the river, then she got like, I don't know, 10 people from India just, no, don't put your <laughs> your your sandals inside because it's sacred water. You know, you're going to contaminate ah, yeah, the yeah, sacred yeah. water. But how yeah. would you know otherwise, right? Like, I mean, if you're exactly. not familiar with, the, <laughs> with no. the culture, then you get these surprised reactions, as you said. And then there's the consequences of breaking them, right? Which are probably different from over time and in situation to situation. And I would guess if we go back more on like uh, evolutionary, that we need we needed other people to survive, and we had to behave in specific ways to be a part of society. And uh, if we didn't behave, we could be thrown out. And and maybe we still are in some way. <laughs> if we don't behave, we can be. Maybe we don't get a partner, we don't get friends, we don't know that. These are important stuff too, right? Which is so. quite intriguing and it, it's sort of like a tension that has captured at least my own personal imagination is this tension between, you know, in order to guarantee the success of a certain social group or a country, mm -hmm. you need to align people toward the common goal, right? And that means that the, the expected behavior should be sort of somehow aligned. But mm -hmm. what brings innovation is actually sometimes breaking that and putting a new yep. direction, right? And it's in this tension that, you know, society is evolved, but it's a constant tension. Yep. Ah, interesting. Uh, yeah. Things are evolving all the time, too. And people are different, too, of course. So some mm -hmm. people are more afraid of breaking these social norms than others. And that's probably a good thing. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if you would agree with me, you know, from... from this conversation that we're having, you know, I'm kind of like uh, uh, driving this idea that, you know, sometimes, I don't know, launching a new food product that is risky, for example, but it's mm -hmm. kind of rewarding and stuff like that might require that people kind of like deviate slightly. I, I was just thinking, mm -hmm. for example, in Japan, they have this fish, you know, that is poisonous, but then they have to cook it in a very special way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that it doesn't kill you, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, so in a way you have to get closer to something that is risky deviating a little bit from the expected mm. kind of like behavior. Mm. 
Uh, and that means that companies also need to manage this. You know, if they want to introduce a new product, a new, a new food, a new something, they need to manage in a way this risk perception such that yep. the combination between the traditional behavior and the new behavior actually merge into the new oh. innovation. Yeah, they do. And then they should also be aware of how large the segments are because there are always some risk takers there who are actually willing to eat and maybe a bit more willing to eat it if it's a bit dangerous, right? Uh, so there's also like some awareness there. And if you come with something which is against uh, what's accepted, you talked about disgust in, in the beginning here, say insects uh, uh -huh. might be good for uh, the, the protein production, but it's kind of against at least a lot of the Europeans way of, of, of eating food. Like, so if you should make something out of that and make it to sell and not only to a small segment, you probably have to, to at least break the disgust uh, emotion that it might trigger. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. And also consider like this individual difference component, right? Like there might mm -hmm. be some groups that are more risk takers or open to experience if we talk about personality dimensions. So, so not everyone is created equal in terms of mm -hmm. risk, risk taking, right? It was actually a story here some year back talking about food scares. I uh, don't know if you remember it, but there was some horse meat that was added without oh, yeah. labeling into some some other beef. And that resulted, because there was some scares in the media, but that made actually a lot of people aware that you could eat horse. So they, they, they wanted it, so the horse meat sales went up. Not oh, wow. <laughs> Not down, but actually. Curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people are some strange animals sometimes. That is interesting. You know, I find this this topic fascinating. I could just, you know, keep diving and diving deeper into it. But let's let's go back to the the, the article. So, yep. what were the main findings of of the article? Situated food safety risk and the influence of social norms. Yeah, we did three studies there, and there was also a pre-study before that didn't go into the the paper here. But the first thing we did was to, to as I said, these 17 different situations, and we wanted to, to, to see that they were distinct and that they had different pressure to to, to follow these, uh, to, 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 to uh, the pressure to, to comply in these situations. So the first study actually showed that, uh, yes, there are the strength of the social norm varies. Uh, and it seemed to vary with, uh, first of all, the, the consequences for the persons, maybe not so surprising. Uh, also, it varies with how formal uh, the, the, the different situations are. And also the if it's not social, that also is something that uh, makes it less likely that you will comply. So that was the first thing we did. And the reason we did that was, of course, to find the variation. So we could pick out mm. two situations that we could use for the next. Uh, in the, the second study, we picked 15 different kinds of food that varied in objective risk. So then we had some microbiologists to help us to say, so what is risky? Uh, I mentioned these hamburgers with might, which was not here, warm or well done and then might have E. coli. That's a risky thing. Uh, chicken, the same, if it's not well done. Uh, bread with mold might have a long-term negative effect, but at least a high disgust factor. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was all the kind of this, this different kinds of foods. Because we wanted to see that we'll, we'll see the same pattern across all. And then we measured the, the, the risk perception for them. For these two situations, there was this at home and then with the, when this uh, father-in-law 
serving dinner as I talked about, so it is kind of a high uh, social pressure situation and a low social pressure situation. Mm -hmm. And then we could see for all of these 15 products that yes, we are less likely to eat this food, whatever it is, moldy bread or red chicken or uh, uh, sugar peas, which might have some bacteria imported. So whatever it was, safe or not safe, we are less, we are more likely to eat it if it's a, a situation with a, a, a clear social norm to behave and be polite and to say yes to, to what people serve you. Oh wow! So that basically means that it increases, like a high social pressure situation, increases the likelihood of you being in a risky yeah, <laughs> behavior, does, right? But, yeah, but I mean, I, I had to say that it wasn't many people that would eat that moldy bread, but 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 there were more people eating it in the the, the higher social norm situation than in the other. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, I mean, yeah. and I guess it, it makes sense. You know, I'm just portraying myself in in I don't know, like yeah. I get invited to uh, uh, dinner with ministers, you know, and then there is yeah. a minister that cooks something, you know, <laughs> and yep. and he wants or she wants that everyone tries it, and you're like, oh, yeah, but this doesn't mm. look so good. But then you're like, okay, I have to be polite, and then yeah. you take the first exactly. bite. <laughs> or you're a smart person, so you might probably come up with a good excuse. Yeah. So, so you can save face. So that's, of course, another behavior. You say, okay, sorry, but uh, I just had some food or I, uh, I'm i allergic or uh, uh -huh. uh, some, some things, a little lie, white lie, so that you can yeah. get easier out of the situation and you don't have to eat this risky food. So that's, of course, another way of, of doing it. But that is interesting because then that means that you can sort of, I mean, probably there are many, many individual differences, mm -hmm. but you might have at least these two groups of people, you know, the one that is more likely to comply and the one mm. that is like more aware of the situation, I guess, mm. or somehow mm. just decides to take a stand on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people we talk to, they say, I would never eat this. So, of course, there are these segments too, like mm. rude or not rude, I would never do. But on average, we see that the tendency is there. That okay. People are more likely to, to do what they think is expected of them. Got it. And so that was the study number two. And in the third study, we tried to put all of this together. So then we we, we picked uh, four of the situations. It was the same as the other. It was this uh, at home alone, and the the, the, the father-in-law serves you dinner, and it was a dinner with the boss to negotiate the salary. And the fourth situation was uh, think that your 13-year-old daughter has made surprise dinner for you, uh, and uh, she made something that you really did, don't like, or I should maybe say, we all we asked them all to, in this study three to think about something that you really don't like, and that food because that can of course vary from situation to situation. It wasn't, it didn't go specifically into something with dangerous, but something that you dislike in this study here. And so think about something you dislike, and then think that you serve that in these situations. It was four different situations. Uh, there was uh, three different kinds of food. It was a hamburger. Uh, it was uh, the chicken and there was some sugar peas imported, which might also be a risk if it, they're not heated up. Mm -hmm. And then we varied level of information. If you give a lot of information and a little of information. So that's what we did. And what we did fine was that uh, if there's low social pressure, then the risk perception mirrors or the risk taking mirrors the risk perception. So what you feel are dangerous, you will stay away from. But okay. in situations when there is a high pressure to comply, uh, as the father-in-law 
or that the boss that might give you an extra salary or an interesting job. Uh, then they do not follow their both both social norms uh, and the risk perception are significant, but they go in opposite directions. Oh. So and you so you might say that uh, you are less. So and and the social norm has a stronger effect than the the perceived risk. Uh, so they both. So can you say okay if you feel that is the the, the perception here is uh, the the risk case high, you will be less likely, but at some point, the social norm of how you should behave takes over and neutralizes out the effect from the, um, the risk perception. That is fascinating. You know, it's like it reminds me of this concept of uh, Nietzsche, the philosopher who, who talked about her, her behavior. And is that when ah. people go in one direction, you know, and do the same thing, yeah. you, we tend to do it. It's kind of like you can you can imagine like a, a group of of, uh, I don't know, monkeys in the African savanna, you know, one stands the head up and then all the others stand the head up because maybe there is yeah. a risk in the environment. I mean, I yeah. guess we still have some sort of like that embedding us sure. like people expect yeah. some behavior and then we just go with it yeah. regardless maybe. of the risk. Interesting. And maybe the herd behavior, that's some social norm that triggers that too, that you expect it to. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe just mirror and learn that might be, of course, that, but it could be that also like if you don't behave like the rest, if you're the one breaking out and going your own way, that that would not be. Approved. Yeah. And this is, you know, like I remember some, I, I'm not sure exactly about the, the, the researchers that did this, but I, I, there's some basic psychology research that shows that, for example, when many people gaze in what direction, they, you increase the likelihood of others gazing in the same direction. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like the, 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 this, this kind of like, you know, if the herd yeah. goes in one direction, of course, you know, it's because you kind of like need to point yeah. to that or somehow. Yeah. But then this begs a very interesting question, Ina, from, from sharing your research is how you can counteract this. And, and I'm not sure if there is some 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 research on this or, or if you have some <laughs> no, insights. That's, a, so that's, of course, the practical, what's practical things here. I think... Um, uh, one thing we can do, we know that social norms influence people. So just by giving information that try to say that no, everybody doesn't do what you think they do, <laughs> to try to break some of these social norms uh, might have an influence. Um, and it might also be that just by be making people aware of the norms that they might break them themselves. If they mm -hmm. say, okay, we, uh, the, if you like, I just take an example from food safety again. Portugal. It seems to be very common to have buffets um, outdoor for weddings and things like that in the in the summer, and they last for hours. So they, they, it's really not a safe situation that you have like food standing there in the sun for hours. But that's kind of how you do it. <laughs> mm. And then there's maybe just by informing people that. Um, uh, we know that the norm is that you. This is how to do it, but and but be aware that there's a risk too, and maybe you should try to at least not leave the food there so long in the sun or something to give them some practical advice for how they can sort it out. Uh, no, I'm. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud while I talk here now. But no, uh, but it but it makes sense. You know, like what you're saying reminds me of of something, and is you know, like I mean, I don't know. This is probably more like a subjective. Uh, uh, you know, comment than, than an objective one, but mm. uh, it seems to me that 
in the last few years, maybe a decade or more, uh, we have seen an increasing number of uh, restaurants and cafes and stuff like that offering gluten-free things, you know, mm. and maybe offering kind of like more diverse options for the sort of people that might go there. So in a way, that's changing the rules as well by informing people. Mm. It's like, you know, we, we know that there are certain people that cannot eat certain things and we're not going to put you through a situation in which you have to actually comply or maybe mm. just don't eat, but just mm. broaden the scope of options that people might have, you know, and, and, and change the rules mm. in a way, right? Yeah, yeah, that might be. Yeah. I don't know if it's... Um, but I think it maybe it's more to be aware of it and also like for us as researchers that we sometimes just look at one thing at a time uh, we know, we know for a long time that situations matters. Uh, Belk, when they write his paper, 74, <laughs> before yeah. you were born, probably, uh, saying that the uh, like, situation, uh, the time, the people, all of this matters. But still, we some, not always, and of course, you cannot always do it, but maybe we more often should uh, look at not only the beautiful, simple uh, uh, we can, uh, models we can abstract to, but just go into the complexity and look into these uh, situational factors too. That makes absolute sense. And, and would you agree with me that there's kind of like an increasing focus on that? I've seen in some food yeah. journals that they focus on the situational appropriateness, kind of like a, yeah. Yeah. a concept, right? That yeah. means, you know, in which situations we find more appropriate doing what, which tells yeah. something also about the rules and what you can do about them. Yeah, I think there's a tendency moving a little bit out of the lab and into the fields and a little bit more to say, okay, it, you see it holds for this situation, but will it hold also for other situations? More like this external validity thing to see when. Yeah, exactly. When. Works, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, Nina, this is a good point to, to ask you a question, which is, so many of our listeners might find your research very interesting and they might want to get in touch with you. So what is the best way for, for them to contact you? I think the easiest way to contact me is to send me an email. And uh, that's quite easy if you note my name. It's nina.weflen and then at vi.no. Then I'll uh, reply and uh, I'll answer as, yeah, all the questions I'll get if I can. Excellent. Please that is do. great. So uh, remember that it's nina.weflen at vi.no. I will write that also in the description of the, of the episode and you'll also have access to the full uh, article there you know like the the reference so that you can access it if if you want to to read it as well okay nina this has been super interesting uh we're reaching now the end of the podcast i have um maybe a couple of more questions actually one question uh for you one additional question for you and is as as you know like in this podcast we have uh, a range of people in the audience we have students we have academics we have uh, practitioners and it is always our 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 aim with anders to kind of like try to give some practical recommendations uh, to to those that are in 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 practice you know so based on this research what would you advise to people you know what what's what are some nice advices that you could derive from it i think it's uh, it has to do with communication and first of all you need to be as be aware that people they social norms they they that they, how they expect to to behave and live their life influences them so just to, to think a bit what, what do you think are the social norms that might influence whatever you would like to <laughs> to, to influence and then uh, if you want to break them because you think that that destroys your maybe the, like the hotel example I had with the towels that you want you actually would very much like the customers to to uh, 
to use the towels more than two one day so that, that's sustainable it, it reduces cost for you in all ways so the thing then that play on social norms might actually work tell them that um, most of our customers they they use the towels more than two that, that's acceptable do it <laughs> you're not a pig if you don't uh, so, so these things probably for the, the other situations too that you uh, yeah tell I'll... them and both yeah. norms and they take them into consideration. I, I love this. It's like kind of like a three-step three uh, kind of like recommendation is first, think of the social norms, right? Try to characterize them. I don't think that, I mean, I, I at least in my consulting practice, yes, sometimes we think about social norms, but I don't think that we always do. So think about the social norms. What are they? Where do they make sense? Both for the world and I guess and for the product and the service whatever, that you're dealing with. Second, communicate. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you might actually just with a communication, the, the, the total example is if nobody tells me, then how should I know, right? I just follow mm -hmm. the, the herd, let's say, you know, like mm -hmm. the typical behavior. So communications and then through communications, you might be able actually to restructure these norms in one way or another and therefore, uh, you know, influence as well, you know, risk taking in a way, you know, in particular, if, you're, if your products are high in risk or, or not, you know, you might actually be able to modulate that. Exactly. And sometimes the social norms plays on your... Uh, your team too. It might be that you will likely go along and that the, the, the social norms is a good thing for you. Depends on what kind of product and service you you offer. Makes absolute sense. And I'm just thinking that, you know, like we are, we are seeing now kind of like some change in social norms and everything related to the environment and sustainability. So mm. it might be good maybe in the future that these norms actually align with the aims of the planet and stuff like that, right? Okay, Nina, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being in the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate your time and, and all the insights that you have brought to us. Uh, I'm sure that all, all of our listeners we, will enjoy listening to, to, to your insights. Uh, again, everyone, remember, I will post all the details of how to contact Nina and the article in the description of the episode. And yeah, thank you so much, Nina, for being here. And thank you. It's been really a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for inviting me.